Well, I'll never forget the day when it finally happened. I'd been preparing for this day for six months, and we were committed. Uh, my family had been excited, yet a bit worried. They knew a big change was coming, uh, a change that would disrupt the rhythms of my life. Um, eager anticipation meant that I could hardly sleep the night before. And then, before we knew it, it was here. December 7th, 2006, the day the Nintendo Wii was released. <laughs> it's hard to describe how happy 13-year-old James was at setting up the console and opening the Wii. Uh, the Wii Play bundle came with the extra Wii remote, if you remember, and uh, I played Wii Tennis with my sister, and over the next few weeks I would play Wii Sports every day and slowly made my way through The Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess. It consumed my thoughts and desires. The Nintendo Wii was the object of my joy the source of my delight, the treasure of my heart. But it didn't stay that way. Uh, after a while, it didn't spark the same kind of joy that it once did, to borrow a phrase. I wasn't thinking about it all the time anymore. Yes, it was part of my home, but it wasn't what consumed my thoughts and my desires. And I became more interested in other treasures. Now, does this experience resonate with you? It may not be the Nintendo Wii for you, but perhaps something else? Uh, an air fryer. <laughs> I know who's in the room. <laughs> a car? A degree? A job? Maybe a relationship? Uh, experiencing a huge amount of joy in something or someone, but then feeling that joy fade. Uh, for some of us, this might actually describe our experience as being a Christian, uh, a disciple of the kingdom of God a follower of Jesus. Some of us may remember the joy of having first become a Christian, uh, uh, the moment of truly understanding what it meant for Jesus to be our crucified Lord and Savior, and then being flooded with a sense of peace and delight. Uh, maybe the joy of being at a mid-year conference and being mind-blown for the first time at, at the radical grace of our God and His love. Uh, but now, that feeling of joy has faded. Ask yourself this, on a scale of one to 10, how much joy do you have in the kingdom of God, in being a disciple of Jesus? So I'll give you a moment. Uh, for some of us, we're still unfamiliar with Christianity, and so for us, the number is really zero. Uh, but let me ask everyone else another question. Uh, compared to this time last year, how does that number compare? How much joy do you have in the kingdom? For some of us, the number is the same, or lower. We're feeling this joy fade. And so this afternoon, I want to help us ask this question. This afternoon, I want to ask, how can we find joy in the kingdom? Because as we continue in Matthew's Gospel account, we're going to see three answers to this question. Three things that I want to share from Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 13. As we conclude our series for the year before we pick it up again next year in Matthew chapter 14. But to do that, we're going to need God's help. So please join with me as we pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your Son, the King of your kingdom. We pray that you'd help us to understand your word and be transformed by your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. How can we find joy in the kingdom? Point one, find the kingdom that is like hidden treasure. Come with me to Matthew chapter 13. Where are we in this chapter so far? 
Well, we've been spending the last two weeks here in this chapter, chapter 13, and, and Jesus has been telling the parables in order to reveal the secrets of the kingdom to some, but to conceal the secrets of the kingdom from others. A, a parable, remember, is a story about the kingdom of God that reveals to some and conceals from others. And last week, Jesus told a parable of the weeds in the field. We saw that in verses 24 to 30, didn't we? Now, for those who aren't familiar with reading the Bible, verses in the top left corner are what we call, uh, excuse me, numbers in the top left corner are what we call verse numbers. And in verse 36, the disciples ask Jesus privately in a house, can you please explain this parable to us? Can you explain the parable of the weeds in the field? Which he then proceeded to do in verses 36 to 43. And last week, Jack, one of the other ministers here at St. Paul's, helped us see that what Jesus is saying is that we are to wait for the day when opposition to the kingdom will end. As we pick it up here in verse 44, Jesus is still continuing to explain the parable of the weeds. That's right. In today's passage, where we are, Jesus is explaining one parable with three more parables. <laughs> That's just how Jesus rolls. <laughs> one parable in verse 44, one parable in verses 45 to 46, and then a third parable in verses 47 to 50. All to make this point that God's people are to wait for the day when opposition to the kingdom will end. Before he concludes with a fourth parable to round out this whole section in verses 51 to 52. And so here we are in verse 44. <clears throat> Please read it with me. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. <clears throat> uh, what is the kingdom of heaven like? Well, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. And in this parable, a man finds it and then hides it, uh, presumably because the field doesn't belong to him. And so if, if he announced that he'd found this treasure, it wouldn't stay with him. It'd, it'd go to whoever the owner of the field is. And so what does he do? He, he goes away, and out of his joy, he sells everything he has in order to buy the field, in order to get the treasure for himself. You know, in the midst of opposition to the kingdom, there will be temptations to let go of the kingdom. As disciples wait for the day when opposition will be removed. But Jesus is revealing here how the kingdom of heaven is like hidden treasure. It's worth it. It's valuable. It's worth losing everything for. Let me ask, what would you be willing to sell everything you have for? What cause would be strong enough for, for you to be willing to sell everything you have for? Uh, cancer research? Is that a good enough reason? Uh, what about climate action? Is that a good enough reason? It's a hard question to ask, isn't it? Uh, hard on multiple levels, because it's hard because we live in 21st century Sydney, where we have so much sell everything, that's too high a price. It's also hard because we live in 21st century Sydney, where we've been told and trained to value causes as long as it doesn't affect you too much. Sell everything, that's too radical. And it's not even a certainty that these causes will be successful if I did such a thing. And yet, time and time again, Jesus shows us the value of the kingdom. 
the treasure of the kingdom, worth everything we have, if it would mean having the kingdom for ourselves. Uh, the kingdom is more than a cause. It's, it's more than an ideal. It's a reality, a reality that Jesus shows through his life, a reality that he establishes through his death and resurrection, a reality that he will inaugurate when he returns and show the whole world what has already been accomplished. A kingdom where God has promised that he is undoing the evil in this world, where the Lord of the Sabbath is bringing hope and justice and relief to the nations. A kingdom where he is healing the sick and elevating the poor and the fatherless and the widowed, providing a family for those who have lost their families and eternal relationships who have lost friends. Uh, freedom for those enslaved by their own desires and failings. More than a cause, it's a certainty. The kingdom of God has these marvelous gifts now and in the future when Jesus returns. This is the treasure that is the kingdom, hidden from most, but there for those who will find it. Is it any wonder then that the man in the parable is filled with joy upon finding it? Friends, if you're yet to know Jesus, uh, to come to the king of God's kingdom, this is the treasure in the field and it's on offer for you today. It's present. There is no other treasure that is worth more. There's no treasure that can claim to offer any more. There's no chance that this kingdom can offer any less. This joy in God's kingdom comes from finding it. And I implore you today to have it for yourself. Christians, have, have, have we lost sight of the hidden treasure that is the kingdom? Are you in danger of it being hidden from you? You know, a few weeks ago, we were looking at the parable of the sower at the, at the first part of Matthew chapter 13, and, and we saw in verse 22 that there was this seed that were, fell among the thorny soil. It represents someone who hears the word, but then it's choked by the deceitfulness of wealth and the worries of this world, making it unfruitful. Brothers and sisters, are you in danger of this? Having found the kingdom, are you in danger of losing it by being distracted by the worries of this life and the lies that are fed by our families and our workplaces and our universities when it comes to wealth and how wealth should be the treasure that we chase in life? Give up anything that would keep you away from the kingdom because this is the treasure with no equal. And when you see you've already found it, that it's already yours, you will find joy in the kingdom. All right, James, okay, the kingdom's a treasure, but why? <laughs> I need more to convince me of its value. Well, all right then, let's, let's keep going. Come with me to point two as we continue answering this question of how we can find joy in the kingdom. Point two, know the infinite value of the kingdom because Jesus continues to build this picture of why we should continue to wait for the day when opposition to the kingdom will end. And he does this by showing us the infinite value of the kingdom, why it is such a treasure. Now, a note. My interpretation of verses 45 to 46 is not the way that most people interpret it. And I want to acknowledge that from the outset. Uh, most people interpret verses 45 to 46 to be saying that the kingdom is like a pearl of great value and how it is a rearticulation of what we just saw in verse 44. And I think this is a legitimate way to read it. 
Uh, In this reading, Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God is of great value, just like in the last parable, and it's worth everything. However, as I was preparing this sermon, I was struck by how Jesus doesn't actually compare the kingdom to a pearl. Now, I may be wrong about this, but notice in verse 45, he says that the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. Not that the kingdom of heaven is like a fine pearl. Which perplexed me. What does it mean that the kingdom is like a merchant? A merchant who found a pearl of great value and sold everything he had to gain it. And then, through prayerful reflection, I think it hit me. Are you ready? Isn't this exactly what Jesus is on his way to the cross to do for us? The king of God's kingdom. The one who, as 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 says, though he was rich for our sake, he became poor so that through his poverty, we might become rich. God the Son, the eternal and immeasurably glorious one, the one who God the Father values infinitely, emptied himself for us. A pearl that he deems of great value. The one true living God, the creator of the skies and the seas, the stars and the planets, more worthy than anything or anyone else, ruling and reigning in the splendor of his holiness in heaven itself, gave it all up for you. Isn't that mind-boggling to dwell on? The glorious death of God's Son on the cross is the death of any charge that God is some cold tyrant, some sky bully, who cares nothing for us. But we see that the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant. We are treasured. We are loved. We are delighted in. Jesus went away and gave it all to have us as his own. Because he loves us. And that's what the kingdom is like. And it's priceless, infinite in value. Know this and it will aid you as you wait for the day when opposition to the kingdom will end. Know this and you will find joy in the kingdom because the king of the kingdom has given himself for you. Know this and we will find joy in the kingdom. But why? Why did he need to give himself up? Well, that brings us to the next parable in verses 47 to 50. Because in this third and final parable, in Jesus' explanation of the parable of the weeds, this is what we see. In verse 47, Jesus compares the kingdom of heaven to a net, to a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. Then in verse 48, we see that when the net was full, the fishermen pulled it up to the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw away the bad. And in verses 49 to 50, Jesus uses a similar explanation that he gave in verses 42 to 43 about the angels separating the wicked from the righteous and and how the wicked will be thrown into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus is describing the final judgment that will happen when he returns one day, a, a judgment where the righteous and the wicked will be separated. Friends, this is the fate that awaits all of us if we don't embrace the king of the kingdom. Because the truth is that we are 
all wicked in and of ourselves. We rebel against God and assert ourselves as authorities over our lives. And the Bible calls this sin. We see our sin and how we treasure things and people over God and his kingdom and, and in doing so, hurt one another and dishonor God. And so all of us deserve to be thrown into the blazing furnace. I know I do. The kingdom is like a net that will end in a great separation, an eternal separation, for our rebellion against God and the ways we have wronged others in our lives. Which is why it's such wonderful news, isn't it? That the king of the kingdom endured our punishment and shame that we deserve on himself, on the cross. Through his death, his glorious death, he brings us glory. Jesus' death, the king of the kingdom, giving himself up, the one who delights in us, who treasures us. He died to bear the punishment for our sins, bearing the condemnation, bearing the shame that you and I deserve. If we will not find the kingdom and have it for ourselves, then we will bear the fate of the wicked, the bad fish who are thrown away into the blazing furnace. If we will not wait for the day when opposition to the kingdom will end, then we will bear the fate of the wicked. Because the kingdom is like a net, and the king of the kingdom is like a merchant who gave up everything to have us as his own and to spare us from that fate. Know this, the infinite punishment you are saved from by the infinite king who loves you infinitely to save you. Know this, and you will find joy in the kingdom. But having finished explaining the parable of the weeds, Jesus then asks his disciples in verse 51, have they understood all these things? Uh, yes, they replied. And so Jesus concludes all the parables with the last parable, verse 52. He said to them, therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. Here, Jesus is comparing a disciple of the kingdom to the owner of a home who has a storeroom, a, a storeroom with, with old treasures and new treasures in it. Specifically, notice how in verse 52 he's referring to teachers of the law who have become disciples of the kingdom of heaven. Now, what's Jesus saying here? We have to remember that Jesus has spent the last few chapters experiencing opposition from the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, experts in the Old Testament, religious leaders. But they were missing the truth of who Jesus is, and they were conspiring to kill him, which will eventually lead to Jesus' death. Uh, throughout the whole chapter of Matthew chapter 13, Jesus has said a few times how the truths of the kingdom were hidden from God's people in the past, but have now been revealed. Uh, take a look at verse 17 with me. In verse 17, he says, For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. And then a bit later in verses 34 to 35, Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden, 
since the creation of the world. These truths of the kingdom of heaven are treasures that are now revealed to God's people, hidden before in the Old Testament, but now newly revealed. And so, to conclude all of these parables, Jesus says here in verse 52, that a teacher of the law who knows the wonderful promises and truths of the Old Testament, every teacher who becomes a disciple of the kingdom is like a storeroom owner who now has access to treasures both old and new because they now have the treasures of the kingdom of heaven. Treasures that the Old Testament people would have given anything to see anything to have some insight into, things that even angels long to see, we now can see if we would find the kingdom that is like hidden treasure. It's really, really hard to overstate how amazing it is that we have access to the kingdom of God, but also how we have access to the Bible in a language we can speak, and the Holy Spirit who brings us understanding of the Bible when there have been billions of people who haven't had access to the treasures of God's word, if we could just begin to fathom the immense privilege it is to have God's word, to be a disciple of the kingdom, to have access to the law and the prophets and the New Testament, can you see how that might change something about how we think about opening the Bible? How we think about reading our Bibles? We would see it as a, as, as a privilege and a treasure, not as a chore or a burden. So, what have we seen here? Know the price that Jesus paid for us. Know the fate that we are saved from. Know the wondrous treasures of the kingdom, and, and you will know the infinite value of the kingdom, and you will find joy in the kingdom. That's point two. Uh, But James, yes, sure, these truths are wondrous, but I still feel a lack of joy. Why is that? Well, come with me to point three. Point three, as we continue to answer this question of how to find joy in the kingdom. Here's point three. Honor and trust the prophet of the kingdom. And we're here in our final section with verses 53 to 58. In verse 54, Jesus goes to his hometown and begins teaching the people in their synagogue, and and they're amazed. Here's Jesus, back in Nazareth. He's come home, and they're amazed at his teaching. But it's not a good amazement. In verses 54 to 57, what we see is that they're familiar with Jesus. He grew up in that town. They know his family, they know his brothers, they know his sisters, and they take offense at him. This is another development in the unfolding opposition to Jesus. Not only are the teachers of the law and the Pharisees opposing him, now his own, the people who know him, people he grew up with, they're opposing him now. Such that Jesus says in verse 57 that a prophet is not without honor except in his own town and in his own home. Remember that Jesus is still on the road towards his death. The narrative will keep unfolding with more and more opposition to this glorious king. And so in verse 58, we see that Jesus did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Not that Jesus was limited by their lack of faith. 
but that Jesus chooses not to demonstrate his power and wonder to these faithless ones. You know, when it came to my Nintendo Wii, one of the reasons my joy faded wasn't because the Wii changed, it's because I changed. I was familiar with it. The novelty, the newness became normalized for me. Familiarity breeds boredom, and familiarity breeds contempt. But can you see how this mindset, this common mindset that all of us have is dangerous? Uh, we find it okay to speak harshly with a family member or with a wife or husband because we're familiar with each other, so obviously it's okay. It's not. We find it okay to mistreat our friends or be late when we've said that we'll be there at a particular time and think it's okay, we're familiar, but it's not. And we become offended and want to ignore what the prophet of God's kingdom, the one speaking the word of God, Jesus himself is teaching us and showing us because we're familiar with him. We've been Christians for a while now, so it's okay, right? But it's not. When we grow familiar with something, we need to fight the tendencies to forget how good something is or how good someone is to keep honoring the goodness of that something or someone, especially if it's worth it. You know, unlike a piece of technology, the kingdom and the prophet king of the kingdom are worth it. Have you grown too familiar? Do you hear the cause to obey and honor and trust and feel unmoved, cold, weary by it all? Just another Sunday or another growth group, doing my Christian duty, hoping he finishes soon. Brothers and sisters, fight your contempt and boredom that comes from familiarity. Fight for your joy. Keep honoring and trusting the prophet of the kingdom. That's the opposite of contempt and offense with the familiar. Honor and trust the prophet. Fight for your joy. Listen to him. Remember him. Dwell on the glory of the kingdom and you will find joy in the kingdom. In light of these things, let me ask you, have you understood? As Jesus asks in verse 53, excuse me, 51. Have you understood? Let me conclude with two points. Firstly, honor and trust Jesus. Uh, this is how to find the treasure of the kingdom and have it for yourself. Uh, not working for it, not psyching yourself up for it, not selling everything you have and buying it, no. That's not how you do it. Honor and trust Jesus. That's how you gain the kingdom for yourself. Will you give up going after lesser treasures and honor the prophet king who gave up everything for you? Will you trust King Jesus and delight in his love for you, in the love that saves you from the blazing furnace? Secondly, and finally, discover afresh the joy of finding the kingdom this week, I implore you to carefully examine your heart. Have you grown too familiar with the infinite value of what is now yours? Speak with one another. Have conversations. Actually do it. Speak with one another and ask each other, what am I delighting in more than the kingdom of God? What are you delighting in, in more than the kingdom of God? What are you treasuring more than God's kingdom? What are the weeds that are threatening to choke your joy? Prayerfully do whatever it takes to fight for the joy of your faith because eternal pleasures are on offer.
the wondrous joy of the kingdom worth everything and anything if you can have it for yourself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word and your son Jesus, the master teacher, the prophet king. And we pray that we would honor and trust him and discover afresh the joy it is to be known and loved and delighted in by you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.